0: For any, any restaurant, I think, you know, the way you do it is just the same way that we're getting QR codes now. You know, if you want to go and sit down in a venue and have people come and, um, you know, be very close to you, I think that the, the the Green Pass model is something that is going to have to be looked at.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. In France, Italy and some parts of the US, we've seen a push to reopen society with a focus on vaccinations. Meaning for those wanting to move forward and enjoy the freedom of dining in restaurants, cinemas, concerts, and big public events, you need to show proof of vaccination. Not just for clients and guests, but those plying their trade in those fields too. Is this a model that we'll see adopted in Australia? Corey Costello is the executive chef of Rockpool Bar and Grill in Sydney, New South Wales. Corey, how are you going?
0: Yeah, very good. Anthony, how are you?
1: Good. We've seen all sorts of uh, different models uh, put in place overseas. Do you think we'll see a, a model adopted in Australia based on vaccinations for restaurants?
0: Look, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to say, really. I, I'm I'm thinking that usually, you know, we've got a test model over in Europe. Um, I think it's now up to 16 or 17 countries over there uh, have have adopted this green pass system, um, and I think four states in uh, in the US of A have uh, also. So you know, usually we follow suit with most of the things that that come from there. So you know, I'm thinking that it's not far down the track that it, it might be a system that Australia adopts because you know, we can't keep going in and out of lockdowns, um, which it sounds like you're about to down there in Canberra. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I have a friend who works uh, uh, as a chef over in France uh, and I spoke to him about it and he said that they didn't in- include it into into the French, the French government didn't have the mandating of, of hospitality to do it. They had it for lots of other industries, but not mm. for, not for, um, not for restaurants and hospitality. And you know the chefs over there all sort of banded together and started to say well you know why can't we be included into part of this and let's get restaurants restaurants open you know they invented restaurants pretty much and they're the most famous mm-hmm. culture for them so uh it, but it took the french government a little bit of pressure to to, to have it mandated for that as well and it's you know it, it is quite controversial i mean we put a post up yesterday on on instagram and some of the people were sort of, con, you know, comparing it to a, a Nazi Germany saying, you know, you can either get a stamp and, and be allowed to do things or, or not, um, which, which I found quite interesting. But, you know, you, you to, to send your kids to childcare, they have to have this some sort of level of vaccination. Um, and, you know, when we're all born, we get vaccinated for all sorts of things. So, um, you know, if, if this is what it's going to take for everyone to to go back to a normal life, then, you know, I I was very quick to get vaccinated myself. And, you know, I, I I believe that it's if it's one way out of it, then then it might be a good option. And the construction industry were very, very quick to, mm-hmm. to sort of jump on and get, get government support behind, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if we have only allowed vaccinated staff back on building sites and the government were straight away into it? So I have a friend who works for one of those big, uh, you know, corporations uh, and he is not allowed to step foot back on his building site, which he's the project manager for. And it's a pretty large building site Um, and it's a pretty well-known building company. <laughs> you see their things all over Sydney Um, and he, he's not allowed back on until he gets vaccinated. So he's like, well, I'll just go and get vaccinated. What, what's the, I don't care. It's not, it's not a big issue. So, I think it's coming, but I just don't want hospitality to be left behind um, and then he have to keep going to, you know, this this lockdown or not enough space or, you know, outdoor dining only, which, you know, it's going to be great in summer, but it's not summer.
1: What sort of impact do you think it will have given the vaccination rates at the moment? What are what is the positives and perhaps um, challenges involved in introducing something like this?
0: Oh, well, you know, every morning at 11 o'clock, we all switch on to the news and start to listen. And, you know, the first thing that they say is, please, everyone, go and get vaccinated. Please go and get vaccinated. But, you know, what what incentive is there to get vaccinated? Uh, for a lot of people that are working from home that haven't lost jobs, that are still doing fine. Yes, they're working from home. And it might be, you know, the kids are annoying them. But, you know, they haven't lost income. They haven't lost work. They haven't lost their livelihoods. Maybe... Uh, maybe a, a few more of the people from uh, that you know are a little bit younger and have to have jobs that are face to face and manual work, maybe it would encourage them to to go and get vaccinated quicker uh, if we knew that we could all open up if we we're all vaccinated. so you know maybe if the government gave some sort of reward um, and that reward is giving you, you know your freedom of life back to get vaccinated then, you know, as i said sign me up i would you know well i've already i'm already done but i think a lot of people would be quite inclined to to be vaccinated if they saw some you know some some rewards out of it so but you know
1: how, how do you think a system might work for a venue like rockpool
0: um well you know for i mean just not for rockpool but for any any restaurant i think you know the way you do it is just the same way that we're getting qr codes now at the beginning you'd You'd sign up and, um, you know, as you walked into the door, do you have a reservation? Yes. What time here? I just need to see you're all, you know, if I go get a coffee in the morning, I can't go into the coffee. Uh, Even though it's outdoors, I still can't buy that coffee without showing the lady and good on her. She's a a great example of being uh, vigilant. Uh, You can't can't order without showing her your tick of approval first on your QR code. So, um, you know, if you want to go and sit down in a venue and have people come and, um, you know, be very close to you. I think that the, the the green pass model is something that is going to have to be
1: looked at. You're currently in a, a lockdown that's been going for weeks in Sydney, um, and this time Rockpool decided to do an at-home model. Um, what's it, what's it been like for for you and the group during this lockdown?
0: Oh, it's it's been we we didn't think it'd um we didn't think it'd take off actually. We we were. Um, we were thinking we'd do a little bit, but not as much as we, as we were, we had to shut, shut down the orders the first two weeks that we did it. And it was wow. due to a few different things. Uh, you know, we have to print all the things that go into the boxes, like the bits of, you know, the recipes and how to cook it and stickers and that. And the, because we were printing nonstop, we ran out of, I don't know, toner or something <laughs> and we couldn't get another one for four days. Wow. Um, which just shut us down. So then we had to go down to Officeworks, get everything printed, and it was very time-consuming and, um, yeah, little things like that. We couldn't freeze enough ice, to the ice packs that go into it. So trying to buy a chest freezer, um, I went into, I rang around, and everywhere I rang said, yeah, yeah, you can come and get it. And then that was 11 o'clock, and by 1 o'clock, all of those businesses had decided to click and collect only, which was a two-day wait. And I said, no, I need one this afternoon. So we couldn't get one. I borrowed a chest freezer from a um, from a from a work colleague, um, and she brought her one in from home. Um, and yeah, we could freeze a little bit, but it wasn't enough. So you know, when when I was giving the the, the lots of other restaurants rang me and asked me, Corey, what's the go with this? We're thinking about doing it. I don't know if we should." Um, you know, we gave them a lot of um, heads up of how to do it and all the things we found in the first two weeks. And you know, one of the first things was go and buy a chest freezer now because you need to freeze all those ice packs. Um, so, yeah, you know, a lot of sort of the, the finer restaurants don't have big freezers because you don't use as much frozen produce as, you know, say a mid-level restaurant. So, you know, freezer space is not something we have a lot of. It's filled with ice cream mainly. So, um, yeah, it was, there was just lots of learning. But the guys from Provador have been, you know, so fantastic and, you know, the 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 amount that they take off you compared to the likes of, you know, Uber Eats and Menu Log and, and as such, you know, they just, you know, you you're pretty much working for nothing. Um, I mean at the moment the company's not making any money from this, but what it is doing is employing everyone and not having them disheartened and Um Yeah, so it's paying the wages, it's paying for all the food, it's keeping producers going. You know, we're having suppliers ring in and say, look, we were planning on selling this We've already signed the contract to buy it. Would you guys take it at a discounted rate? We go, well, it's not really going to fit in, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it to help you out. And, you know, so suppliers are sort of getting a little bit of help. We're, we're giving staff um, a bit of a leg up. Um, you know, we're keeping things, we're keeping our name out there and we're keeping our guests knowing that you still can get a little bit of, of what you liked doing. It's not quite going to be the same, um, but, yeah, it's, it's just keeping it all going.
1: Rockpool is known for its ethos about quality produce and doing little to it and just celebrating on the plate. How, how did you transfer that to an at-home model and what, what sort of um, offering did you come up with?
0: Well, I have to give a shout-out to Michael Clift here because Mikey, uh, Mikey put this all together last lockdown when we, uh, when we um, did the first one. So Michael did a whole bunch of testing about some of our products that would be very, very easy for people at home to, you know, not have to have 16 pans on the stove and, um, you know, we seal the steaks on the grill to get a bit of smoke and char and then we bring them out and and chill them down very quickly with a blast chiller, put them into a cryback bag um, and then give you instructions on how to reheat in the oven um, just to bring the bring it back up to temperature and you know it's it's not as nice the steak's not as juicy it's not as you know it doesn't get a good as as good a crust but you know it's probably it's still probably going to be better quality meat than you're going to get at home Um, a lot of it's been aged if you choose the age cuts Um, it does have a bit of that wood fire uh, smokiness to it so yeah you know we've sort of focused on that and then a couple of cold items and then just some things that really translate well to being put into an oven and and finished off and reheated um we sort of didn't want to do a lasagna and a lamb shoulder because i think (laughs) every every person's doing it and i love both of those things they're two of my favorite things to eat but we wanted to sort of do not a lasagna and not a lamb shoulder so um which which do translate pretty well and now i think people have really stepped up their game with the whole provador platform and you know you're giving people lessons in how to cook as well so uh, it's been a learning curve, but something that we're pretty, pretty proud that we got involved in. And Shane down in Melbourne, uh, you know, I speak to him and I'm looking forward to eventually getting down to Melbourne and having a beer with him because it was such a great initiative that he came up with um, to really sort of focus on sort of the restaurants that do pride themselves on, you know, not having something lukewarm and a takeaway in the back of a, a, a you know, an Uber guy on a bicycle you know, while it's just steaming and chewing and overcooking. So, you know, the way he sort of set it up where you cook a lot of it yourself at home and finish it off, but, you know, you need a few things. Uh, it was a great idea and, you know, I think he's he's probably, you know, he probably doesn't want lockdown to end because he's rolling in the dollars now. <laughs> Shane, if you're listening, you know, you know <laughs> I think I've been a bit of a spokesperson for him for Provador in Sydney. So, um, he's, he's, he's every day I clock onto the website, there's a new restaurant that's – um signed up so you know the competition's getting a bit more fierce on there now um but it's great you know it's great that everyone can stay employed and this is you know this is the thing it's we just need everyone to sort of survive on life support until we get back opened um and provider is providing that bit of a service you know for for some people and you know other people have got other platforms that they're using and you know there's there's we looked at a few different ones and you know a lot of them have got their, their good points and bad points and so you know, it's, it's just great that you hear things like you know when you have a guest contact you and say, "Look, I was having a really shit Friday, and then you know my partner surprised me with this and and did this meal for me at home, and we had a party in our lounge room, and it was awesome." You know, I love I love the next day I come into work and I'm 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 upbeat about it, and it's great to hear that. Um, so that's good. But then you do get the other side of it is, you know, I ordered this and it's nothing like having Rockpool. Uh, you know, the steak wasn't as juicy, the gratin wasn't as gratinated, and you know, the mac and cheese I didn't think, you know, it was a bit oily on top. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Like, you know, we we it's when we're doing it for you, we made it ten minutes before you ate it. You know, it's sat in the back of a van the day before, it's gone to a warehouse, it's not gonna be the same. So yeah, unfortunately, no, it's not. And that's why you come into the restaurant and you have that experience and it's, you know, we've finished it and you're eating it two minutes after it's been put on the pass, um, cooked by people that know their trade. Um, so, yeah, we have felt, you know, we have, you know, it is frustrating when you get those people complain um, and say that it's not the same as the restaurant. But, yeah, it's, it's not. It's never going to be.
1: Given the popularity of it, do you see it um, staying in the model when the restaurant opens? Will you be doing rock pool at home?
0: Um, look, to, to like if, if you have a look at some of the photos that we've put up, um, you know, on social and um, things like that, it takes a lot of space and a lot of time. Um, I know it works really well for some restaurants that have a bit of space where they can do too, but, you know, to put together 20 or 60 boxes – and to store the freezer and the ice packs, um, and then to be able to process all the packaging down, we've we've got a dedicated room just to holding the packaging. We've got a dedicated room in a big room. at, You know, you know how big Rockpool Bar and Grill is in Sydney. We've got a dedicated room to holding the boxes that we put together. So you imagine, you know, two hundred and fifty boxes put together take up a lot of space. They take up half of one of our dining rooms in the, in the back section of the restaurant. So, you know, we're talking about sort of a 30 meter squared area, um, of just boxes. So it does work for some restaurants, but I just don't know where we'd store everything for it. Um, and you know, it, it, we'll probably do a little bit of it, but we really want to focus on our, on our guests that come into the venue, um, and sit down and, you know, when it all gets turned back on, we'll probably do a little bit of it um, and maybe in the earlier parts of the week. But, um, you know, when it's Friday and Saturday night and the people that have been gagging to get out want to come back out, I don't want to mess a single thing up for them. And we'll all be a little bit rusty as well when we get back into the kitchen because, you know, we, I always say that cooking is like a sport. And it's like a team sport. And um, particularly when you're cooking things that rely on on your skill and your, your, your measure as a chef – Um, you know we we don't have a lot of sort of heated up and sous vide things and things we've done a lot of prep to before you know we're doing a lot of our cooking sort of a la minute uh, and you know a lot of things we make to order which um, when people come and work for us they're like why would you make this beforehand it's like no we make everything to order as per Neil's instructions from back in the day so it will all be a little bit rusty when we get back into the kitchen and um, I know and and beautiful the beautiful people of, uh, of sydney were very forgiving those first few weeks when we reopened and we're a little bit off off um you know off the pace but um yeah the people in melbourne they really laid into the staff down in melbourne and you know i haven't been out in six months and you've ruined my night out was my first big opportunity by having you know uh, something that wasn't quite to their liking um, where we were we were very, the, I think the people in Sydney were a lot more forgiving, but we didn't go through the hell of what Melbourne went through uh, or Victoria went through with their lockdown. So um, it'll be interesting to see maybe, you know, if, if when Sydney comes out of this next one, when it's going to be, it looks like five or six months, you know, how how everyone opens back up and whether they're forgiving to us or um, whether they're like, no, you've spoilt my one night out.
1: What does this lockdown feel like compared to the last one? Is it is it different for you?
0: Um, it sort of is. I was very fortunate the last lockdown. Um, well, it was it was in the middle of um, one of the most beautiful sort of marches in April that we can imagine. So I live at the beach, and it was um, it, it was fantastic for me because it was beautiful weather. It was um, it was lovely. I had a, a new love interest in my life who was. Um, you know, it was, it was a great, great time for me. So I really enjoyed the last lockdown, but this one, you know, it was a little bit different. Um, and it was the middle of winter, it rained the first couple of weeks, couldn't go anywhere, you know, just things like going for a walk in the, you know, cause it was raining and cold. You're like, well, even that simple pleasure of going for a walks now sort of been taken away. Um, and so, yeah, it was a little bit more, uh, frustrating this time around. um, yeah, but um, you know it, it and, and it's been frustrating because we didn't know it was going to be such a long lockdown. Um, yeah, so it's been been a bit, bit more difficult, I think, for for hospo um, this time round. But as I said, you know, people have known what to expect a little bit more and got there, you know, got got straight into doing things uh, with cooking at
1: home you've uh, been working with your team to do the rock pool at home offering during this time um, but things are v- very much different what what are you missing about the the restaurant not being open at the moment
0: Oh, oh that's so many things uh, I miss e- eating ice cream straight out of the ice cream machine um, <laughs> I miss eating the steaks as they come off the grill uh, most most of mine are pretty um Pretty selfish they're all about me and me eating um and i I miss i miss being able to go down to you know other uh, my other favorite restaurants and and eat at them um yeah malay chinese which is just down the road from us is still doing takeaway so that's been a a lifesaver but you know i miss going to hubert's and sitting at the bar after work and and having a, a, a cheeky negroni and yeah, and I, I miss the I miss the smiling faces of all the guests coming through the door, and um, you know all their all their praise that they that they lavish our kitchen with and our floor staff with, and you know I miss the floor staff coming in and I miss yelling at them. it's um, <laughs> Just not the same yelling at them now. Um, yeah, so there's lots of parts that you know I just I miss. It was beautiful when we did start doing the the Provador again and smelling that the wood fire grill being lit up in the middle of the restaurant. And I think that smell, because I was working uh, in, in the venue for a while, um, still trying to sort stuff out while we were shut, but it was great that first day that we got that fire lit and you could smell that, that typical smell. And I loved it. And um, yeah, it was something that I, I, I missed. So yeah, I, um, I can't wait to open the big brass doors at the front and have those first customers walk through and, you know, I keep getting messages from them saying, I want to be the first one when you reopen to come back in.
1: Uh, You're leading one of the largest brigades in one of the most awarded restaurants in the country. But why did you start a career in food?
0: Um, I mean, I, I was a pretty bad kid at school. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't academically um, minded and, you know, I liked working with my hands my grandfather owned bed and breakfasts and uh and sort of hotels uh little motels um up and down the sunshine coast of of Queensland and so whenever we'd go up there for holidays I'd be in with him and you know he'd be cooking the breakfast for the guests and um doing little things and you know sitting on the bench of a kitchen was always great um yeah I just I loved food from from an early age um yeah I went to school in Chatswood and you know, walking to school, we'd walk past Tim's barbecue kitchen and they'd be hanging, you know, ducks and barbecue pork. And, you know, we'd all, we'd all chuck in money and, you know, do you have 20 cents? Do you have 30 cents? And, you know, we'd go up to to Tim's barbecue kitchen, which is one of the first places I remember eating sort of all that barbecued meat items. And, you know, say we've got $4.60, how much barbecue pork can you give us? And so we'd get $4.60 $4.60 worth of barbecue pork and he was next door to the scallop shop and the guy sold potato scallops. Um, and, they're, yeah, they're potato scallops and not potato cakes like those people down in Victoria call them. They're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we'd sit there after school or, you know, we'd, we'd eat that and, you know, Chatswood had such a vibrant um, sort of Asian food culture that, you know, I grew up just, you know, after school eating, all these things are a little bit, bit different. And, um, yeah, my grandfather taking me to Chinatown also when I was younger, um, you know, just opened up a world of, you know, I remember eating steamed eggplant for the first time, you know, with, with garlic and, and it was just stuff that, you know, wasn't a usual thing to have. And yeah, I, I just loved food from early age and mum used to make, you know, beautiful curries at home and, um, just enjoyed eating things that were, um, a little bit different. So being a scumbag kid at school and knowing I wasn't ever going to go to university or have the um, mental aptitude to go, I decided that being a chef was going to be best for me um, where I could. Now it's funny. I became a chef so that I didn't have to, um, do things like reports and homework and schoolwork and look at spreadsheets and now that's a lot of what i do (laughs) (laughs) Sit down in front of a computer and look at bloody spreadsheets which is um annoying
1: you've spent a, a lot of your career working your way and rising the ranks in rockpool to to where you are now but you've also worked in many other restaurants well what's been the real key moments in your career that helped guide you as a chef
0: oh i think i mean working for um Working at Catalina when I was an apprentice, that opened my eyes up to just a, a different a different world of that, you know, that, you know, get in the morning at 7 a.m. and, you know, push for 14, 15 hours a day, um, being flat out the whole day and having Michael McMahon come in and uh, be Michael. And if anyone knew Michael, he could swear better than any person I've ever known. Uh, you yeah, know, rest in peace, Mr. McMahon. He was uh, a, great, a great, great great restaurateur. Um, and, yeah, Angel Fernandez, who was the head chef down there, was just a, an absolute brilliant cook um, and had such a great palate. You know, he'd know if you were lying to him and you said that you'd prep something um, and you'd actually – it was something from the day before because you had such a stringent – you know, every little bit of garnish and every little bit of anything that was cold had to be prepped that day. And Angel would pick up straight away if it had been sitting in your fridge overnight. So, you know, he'd come around and taste everything. And, you know, he used to say that the best tool a chef could have is your two fingers because you should be eating and tasting your whole way through. Um, and, you know, I remember walking in and finding Angel in the cool room eating this triple cream brie. <laughs> Uh, and he was like a sprung, you know, uh, a sprung kid with his hand in the lolly jar on my like, angel. And he's like, it's so good. I just had to eat some. Uh, and you know, that was him, you know, we'd get to work in the morning and he'd show me the, the perfect way to cook an egg. And, you know, you'd have a big thick piece of sourdough out of the oven with a little bit of, uh, like a, a sort of fried egg on top of it. that was perfectly done with aioli and and you know he'd eat that and when you ate something like that with sourdough it was made an hour before an organic you know egg that had just been perfectly fried straight put on the bread with a perfect aioli made with all the best ingredients something so simple I remember eating it just going why, why if you ordered this from a restaurant or a cafe it, it would never be this good because it wasn't made with that that love of I'm going to eat this right now and I think when you eat things when they're at their absolute best, I mean, how much bastardization did focaccia get, you know, throughout the 90s? And, you know, people would go in and go, what, this focaccia is horrible, you know, and two-day-old focaccia is one of the worst things you can eat or a croissant that's a day old, you know, mm-hmm. it is disgusting. But when you eat things when they're at their absolute best moment, um, there's not many things better than the simple, simple things in life when they're at their peak. So, you know, there's a place called staple bakery in, in, um, in Seaforth in Sydney. Um, and they have croissants uh, and they're one of the best croissants I've eaten. Uh, and you know, they're all sold out usually by 11 o'clock in the morning. my, My partner went down to pick me on up on father's day and she said the line, um, had about 150 people in it. Wow! Um, to be that that first ones down there on Father's Day, and it was you know things like things like that, eating a croissant when it's at its best, or eating a, a fried egg when it's at its best, or you know sourdough when it's a few hours out of the oven. All those little bits and pieces of eating things when they're at their absolute peak, you know, they go into. That's what makes food so special um, for me. Yeah, so, I mean, those things, you know, the different different chefs are famous for doing different things with different ingredients. And, you know, Neil's ethos that he, that he taught us was always not to do too much to the produce, let it sing for itself. Um, you know, we've never really taken things and tried to turn them into something that they weren't, always was too far away from the actual product that it was. Um, you know, and it's, we, we stand by that. And I stand by that at home as well. You know, if I'm cooking at home, I try and cook those sort of things
1: at the top of the show we talked about um vaccinations and whether that is a model of such would come into restaurants um given that we're still in a lockdown now how are you feeling about things when when do you think that you might be able to open the big brass doors again at Rockpool
0: no well, i'm thinking maybe around christmas my that's my personal sort of you know i and that's that's what I'm thinking. It's, it's around Christmas. I think there's been a bit of a date of somewhere at the end of October that we all hit 70% vaccinations, and they'll open up places like uh, you know bars and gyms and and restaurants and and hairdressers. So you know I, I feel feel for them as well. And as I'm liking all the um liking seeing all the people's home haircuts. Uh, I've gone bald, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Uh, you know, I can shave my head every day, but we've got about four or five people now in the restaurant that have all come in wearing uh, these new haircuts. So they've shaved their heads themselves. And so I'm like, yeah, good <laughs> on you. Um, just see, I saw one person walk in the other day, packing, I'm like, you cut your own head. He said, no, my wife did it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can tell. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I feel for all the hairdressers and, you know, people that, you know, do petitions and, you know, anyone that's got a face-to-face job now that can't do their job, I feel for them as well because, you know, it's it's bloody hard.
1: Corey, you've always been wonderfully optimistic. What, what sort of advice would you have for those in the industry at the moment doing it a bit tough to sort of um, to look forward and, and keep hope?
0: I mean, the first thing everyone needs to do is to put pressure on if, you know, you've, you need to get some rental uh, some rental help. Uh, if, it's a, it's a, if it's a, if it's a business, you know, and I, I'm sure everyone is, but just really push. I think, you know, and, and if there are landlords out there that aren't coming to the party, you know, it's pretty easy for you to push and say, well, you know, how is if if I leave this lease, where are you going to find someone else to lease, uh, you know, a commercial restaurant business at the moment? So you know, it's I know they you can you, know, you can do things pretty quickly, but you know, just to hang in there, try and, you know, try and survive, keep your head above water until it all it all comes back on. Because, um, you know, so I spoke to some friends the other day in New York uh, and, you know, the, the guys over there, they've got small restaurants that are just absolutely churning through the covers every single day. It's, you know, you know, he said to me every day it's like Saturday because um, people are just so, so keen to get out after being locked down and they're just so thankful to have restaurants, uh, as part of their life again. So, you know, and we sort of noticed that the last time when we came out of lockdown, that people were just so willing to come in, uh, and enjoy that freedom of coming into a restaurant, not cooking for themselves, um, yeah. And not eating the Chinese takeaway. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there is hope. It's just about surviving until that point And, the government's been great, you know. Hats off to them with with trying to get things out quickly. And and I know, you know, I know it's not mustn't be easy for them, um, you know. And I never want to, you know, I, I making decisions that affect so many different people is difficult. You know, and I know, cooking for cooking for four people at home, I'm going to have three happy people and one person unhappy with that dinner. Um, and you know, you try and times that by. Uh, you know, by a few million, you know, they make decisions and not everyone's going to be happy by those decisions. Um, but, you know, that's what a democracy is. And that's, you've got to put faith in your, in your government. And yes, they sometimes get it wrong, but who am I to say that I could have made a better decision because yeah, I, I'm, you know, I make decisions in kitchens and that's my, that's my speciality and that's what I'm good at. Um But, you know, I get those decisions wrong and I get them wrong a lot. And, you know, politicians are going to get their things wrong as well. And it's not an easy, you know, no one's got an easy fix. Um, One in a hundred year thing. So... Yeah, I, I, I sympathise for them and I yeah I look forward to them all coming back into the restaurant and cooking for them.
1: Well, Corey, we look forward to coming back into the restaurant and enjoying your hospitality and the whole uh, Rockpool team. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. It's been uh, – yeah, and enjoy your lockdown in Canberra now. Um, <laughs>
1: Thank you, Corey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> See you, buddy.
1: <laughs> This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who play their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in podcast, or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.